Well, I, uh, I really was wrestling this week uh, through this message. Uh, as you all know, likely we've been ro- rolling through the Gospel Project, and they send us a sermon outline. So they kind of give us these three points. And I was like, ah, but what if that's not the three points that Gospel Chapel needs to hear today? And so I'm, I was wrestling through that, and then I was resisting that, maybe a little bit stubborn, and then, uh, and then God was kind of bringing me around on that. And so I, I was trying to figure out, you know, anytime I preach, I have you in mind. Uh, you know, obviously God's Word is, is for all people, uh, but I believe each week God has something specific He wants to say to this group, and so I, I kind of wrestled through it. So uh, the elders and Doug can... Uh, can push back on me or correct me later, because uh, I altered things a little bit uh, from, from the script. So uh, anyway, so here we are. We are in Exodus. We are working through the story of Moses. Uh, if, if you heard last week, uh, we know that uh, we talked a bit about the, the burning bush, and we talked a bit about Moses and, and just this task that he's set on. And, uh, and now we're, we're jumping into this really interesting uh, portion. So we are in Exodus mostly in chapter 12 today, uh, but we are going to start uh, in Exodus uh, chapter 6. And um, I'm going to read the the scriptures on and off throughout the message, so I'm not going to get you to to stand and sit. You can just relax. Uh, But what what I want us to know this morning, this is what I feel like the Holy Spirit is, is telling our church family this morning, and it's just one word. It's the word remember. God is a God of covenants, and he always sees his promises through. We can always count on his promises. And so we need to remember. We need to remember the covenants, remember the promises. And we need to find rest and assurance there. So as I read this, this first part of the story today, I hope that uh, you can hear these words for you. you know, and, and know that the words are, are just as relevant today as they were then. And so I'm reading in in, uh, Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment." I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. I really like that passage. I I mean, there's so much there that is being spoken for that time, which is really important. But there's so much there when I was reading this that I was going, man, that is really good for me to hear today. So this is what God tells Moses 
just before he takes the task on, just before he's sent out, just before he experiences the wrath of the most powerful man on earth, along with pushback even from the Israelites, from God's own people, and God says this to him. And Moses will need to remember these words as he goes, and he, as, as he steps into this mission. And I wonder if we need to also remember more, uh, if we have forgotten what the Lord has done for us. Are we tired? Are we weary? Are we exhausted? Are we frustrated? I know that I am. I noticed in the last few months that Sunday is the day that I most often feel like quitting. There's this, this overwhelming feeling of, of exhaustion that I, that I experience after the services, and, and, and I hear this voice almost every week. It says, you're not cut out for this. No one really wants you here. You have no clue what you're doing. And I've recently told myself, I can't believe any of that. It's not true. It's not from God. And, and this week, as I was writing this sermon and I was just really wrestling, I actually, uh, it, I actually finished my sermon on Tuesday. And that maybe was a little bit of a sign that something wasn't right. <laughs> that was early. I finished that quick. Uh, but I was really, really wrestling with that. And, and it was kind of, I was experiencing this, this doubt and, and, and so forth. And I just felt scattered. So I printed off the whole sermon. And, uh, and then I brought... Uh, the sermon to Shana, and I said, I don't feel great about this. I feel a bit scattered. Can you check it out for me? And she says, you say that every time. I'm sure it's just great. And so she took the sermon, and, uh, and later that night, she said, it's a little bit scattered. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, good. Thank you. That's why I, I have you read it. Um, and so I came back. I came back to it. And, and what I was reminded... Uh, what I was reminded of was the promises of God. And even as I started that, someone had texted me and just said, here's a promise I want you to hear today from God. I was like, wow. And so I suspect that we also need to hear those promises today. So according to a very quick Google search that I did, there are 7,147 promises God made to man. I have no idea if that's actually true. I didn't go through the whole Bible and look for every promise. Uh, but let's just assume that there's a lot of promises that, that God has made to us, uh, which, is, which is, I think, really cool. And so what I want us to do is um, I'm going to read some of those. I'm not going to read all 7,000. I'm going to read some of those promises for us, and I hope that it speaks to you this morning. Uh, because it's from Scripture, this might be the most important thing this morning. You know, I was thinking about this. I was like, what if I just, for the sermon, I just came up and I just read Scripture? Some people might be upset, like, well, what are we paying this guy for just to read the Bible? But I remember, and this is no slight to Pastor Henry or Pastor Doug, but one of the most significant sermons I, I have heard in, in Gospel Chapel was a guy who recited the whole book of James. Does anyone remember that one summer? Yeah, okay, one, two people. Okay, so the three of us really enjoyed it. Uh, but he came up, he had the whole book of James memorized, and he just came up and, and just recited the whole thing. I just thought it was so beautiful. Anyway, uh, so for your encouragement this morning. So in Joshua, it says, Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. That's significant. 
Again in Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And in Isaiah, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And in Ephesians, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In Romans, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In 2 Timothy, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And in Psalm, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In Isaiah, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In James, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given, it'll be given him. And in Hebrews, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. In Matthew, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Again in Matthew, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And finally, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us together remember these promises, the promises that God has made us, and these are just some. And when I read these promises and when I read Exodus 6, it's hard for me not to get excited again and to go, okay, let's go, let's, let's keep moving. Sunday is over, perhaps, and it's time to get going on the next week and prepare for the next Sunday service and, and everything that's going to happen in between and to see what God wants to accomplish in our midst. God keeps his promises, so I need to walk in those promises. So Moses enters the scene, and it's, it's rough. Uh, he, he most certainly would have to keep reminding himself of the words that God just spoke to him before he left. You know, it, it would have been so much easier if, if Moses was able just to go to Pharaoh and say, can you let our people go, please? And Pharaoh just went, okay. And that was that. But it's not how it happened. God's people were worn down to say the least, under the rule of the Egyptians. 
And in the time of Jesus, God's people were worn down under the rule of the Romans. And what was needed in both of those times? God's people needed to remember the covenant, to rely fully in his promises. And I can't help but think today even we, we're feeling a bit of that. We are foreigners in a foreign land, and this world is not ours, and, and as Switchfoot says, this body's a rental. But today we are feeling a bit worn down, I think, and, and for various reasons. So what is needed for us today to remember the covenant? And what is that covenant? What is the promise? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, number two, so I've, I've actually... <laughs> I forgot to say the first point. That's how off I was on these. But number two, God requires a perfect sacrifice from his people and God releases judgment in the midst of his people. These are actually points two and three. I combined them. So take that gospel project. Uh, All right, so I'm going to be reading from Exodus 12. Things start to get pretty intense. Uh, Starting in verse two. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. Now, we skipped over all the plagues. So, if you know the story, here we are at the the, the last plague. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. If the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your... Count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And then going to verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And then down to verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, Go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. So when, when, I, when I read this passage and I try to do this, especially when I'm preaching a sermon, I, I try to imagine what this would have been like. So I just took a moment as I was reading through this this week to imagine myself in the story. You know, the weight of this moment in the grand narrative uh, of the scriptures is extremely significant. And I was just thinking what it would have been like if I was an Egyptian that night. (sighs) 
to find my daughter. What it would have been like if I was an Israelite and seen my daughter spared. Of all the 7,000 promises or more, whatever, whatever amount they are, in the Bible, we were reminded of the most powerful one. Jesus Christ was born in a manger and died on the cross for our sins. And it is significant. Excuse me. Passover reminds us of this promise. But we have to understand that that promise came with a cost. A sacrifice was needed and God's judgment was evoked. The passage we started with was God's promises to Moses. And he is fulfilling them here. God is throwing down there's no one in the world more powerful in this moment than Pharaoh. And in a way, there was no one more greater, or there was no greater gods than the Egyptian gods. So God steps in to remind his people of his power, to put any debate to rest as just who really was the only true and living God. And that's why the plagues were connected to Egyptian gods to show that God is far more powerful. God takes on Pharaoh, and no matter how much power or how much wealth or anything that Pharaoh had, he cannot stop God, and he cannot stop God's plans and promises. And so for us to remember what is happening here, we need to remember Abraham and Isaac, which... I was able to preach on a number of weeks ago. We have to remember the debt that was owed, that had to be paid, and that was the firstborn son. And here we are again at the Passover. The debt is owed, the firstborn. But is it really fair? Was it just to, that God would ask that? That he would ask the Egyptians and the Israelites to do this? It seems unfair, but I think in order for us to understand this, we need to have some sense of what justice is. And in Isaiah 30, it says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. So if justice, in a broad sense, is the principle that people receive that which they deserve, is it justice that God would kill the firstborn? If the, mo if the most horrific serial killer was let off on a warning, would we say that justice has been done? Is it not then the same 
if God were to just let us off the hook. If he, if he were to let us off the hook in our sin and our treason for no real reason, is that truly just and loving? Of course not. A debt must be paid. I think we really need to understand the weight of all of this, the debt that we owe, the payment for the debt. If the payment is for, for my father, Bruce Jepson, to offer up me as a sacrifice to be forgiven, would that not tip us off that this is pretty heavy? <laughs> We can't treat it lightly. And if that is true, is not the baby in the manger the most amazing gift ever given to humanity? God's firstborn given to the world. I was thinking about this in, in um, our recent context here. I was thinking about the crash of the, the Humboldt Broncos. What's justice there? On July 6, 2018, the RCMP charged 29-year-old Jaskirat Singh Sidhu with 16 counts of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing death, 13 counts of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing bodily injury. In early 2019, Sidhu pleaded guilty to the charges and was sentenced to eight years in prison. Sidhu, an immigrant from India, plans to appeal deportation from Canada if he is granted parole. So what is justice here? I was, I was watching some of the news on this recently. And some of the families who have lost children in this crash say justice will only begin if he is deported. That is, it's got to be at least that much. And some families say they have forgiven him and there's no need for him to leave Canada. The weight and the burden of the accident is pay, payment enough along with these eight years that he'll be in prison. So is eight years long enough to pay the debt? Who gets to decide this? Whatever the, the case, it doesn't seem to be disputed, even from, um, even from Jaskirat himself, that across the board, payment is necessary. He said it himself. Just a shrug of the shoulders and apology isn't enough. Payment is needed. And if deep down we all know this, how much more should we understand the payment needed for the offense that we have given to the all-powerful God. Because what we have done to God is worse than crashing into a bus. And if you think that's a little bit too drastic, again, I don't know that we know the full weight of our sin and our treason. So God killed every Egyptian god, and he killed Pharaoh. Spoiler alert. And you can be as stubborn as you want, but God will always get what he wants in the end. His plans will always succeed and his promises will be fulfilled. And that's something that we can rest in. You know, at our house, our TV, probably like a lot of you, our TV is on a stand in the living room. And uh, recently, Shana has said to me, I really like that TV to be mounted on the wall. And I said, I don't want to deal with that. So I have said no. I'm not mounting the TV on the wall. I don't want to move all the cables. I don't want to go through all this work. It's not happening. I'm putting my foot down. <laughs> Guess where the TV is going to be in the new year? <laughs> and all the husbands out there, if you're thinking it'll be on the TV stand, we offer marital counseling here. <laughs> the TV will most likely be on the wall in the new year. But if I can be as stubborn as I want 
and Shana's plans will succeed in the end, how much more will God's plans? It's a silly example, obviously. Anyone here feel that they know better than God? I know I do sometimes. How is that working for us? Are you making yourself the God of your own life? Are you standing up for your own rights or what you think justice should be? I think we need to be careful because when we demand justice or our way, then justice for us is our own death. God killed the Egyptian gods and he will kill the gods in your life too. But there must be another way to God. There must be. Unfortunately, there is nothing you can do to pay this debt. It's just too great. You cannot be saved by reading the right books or, I don't know, voting for the right political party, watching the right YouTube videos, I don't know, whatever it is. There is only one way. And I apologize, I know this example is going to go over some of your head, but in the movie The Avengers Endgame, so I'm looking at right here, uh, at the very end of the movie, big spoiler, but it's been long enough, uh, Iron Man is there in this last battle, everything's just blown up all around him, and he's fighting the big bad guy, Thanos, and you can see he's contemplating, is there any other way for this to end? He knows what he has to do, but boy... And he looks across, and there's Doctor Strange. Okay, I, just give me, give me a bit here. There's Doctor Strange, and Doctor Strange puts up one finger, and he's going, there's only one way. And it's the same thing for us. There is only one option. Excuse me. This is going to be really gross. Sorry, everyone. Okay. So we must live our lives as though we are not the king. We are not, we are not the one option to God, not even close. I think we need to, to remember Psalm 8. It says this, When I look at the, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So I think instead of having a posture of God owes us, we instead should think we owe God. Why, despite everything we have done, is God still good to me? Have mercy on me, a sinner. Do we really have the gall to tell God he doesn't care for us, that he's unjust and that he doesn't love us after he sent his only son to die on the cross for us? Friends of ours gave us this incredible deal on a minivan this summer. We didn't deserve it. Could you imagine, after the day I got this minivan, calling my friend to say, hey, thanks, but you know, it doesn't have a heated steering wheel. Do you even love us? You know, how ridiculous would that be? And so back to Abraham and Isaac, and I'm sure you remember this in Genesis 22, it says, Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God will provide the lamb. God will provide. This is it, my friends. 
there's evil, there's confusion, there's anger, there's sickness and death, and what's the answer? God will provide. I, I think we fault the Israelites, especially this time of year in Advent, we fault the Israelites uh, at Jesus' birth because it seemed that only a few wise men from, from the east and a handful of people, they got it. And the Israelites waited with anticipation for the arrival of the next King David to come and save them, and they got Jesus, and it's not what they expected, and it's sadly not what they wanted. But can we not see that we're in that exact same position today? We walk around predicting the end of the world or talking about the chaos all around us, wondering what to do and how it's all going to end, and we forget the promises of God. We don't remember we forget that as Isaac looked at his father and asked, what's going to happen next? Abraham tells him, God will provide. We forget that the all-powerful God faced off against Pharaoh and his Egyptian gods and made them look like ants. We forget the last words of Jesus on the cross, it is finished. Our response should simply be, God will provide. The Israelites, under the crushing rule of the Egyptians, were as good as dead. What gave them life? The blood of the Lamb. And we were under the crushing rule of sin and evil, and we are as good as dead. But what gives us life? It's the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And now we can march together forward toward the future promised land. So... For the sake of time, I was going to go over head, heart, and hands, but I'm going to skip it over today. I think it's in your bulletins, and so it is important to go over that, those practical pieces, uh, but we also want to take communion together this morning. So as we, as we come to a close today, you can't talk about Passover without talking about the Lord's table. We can't talk about without communion. And, you know, Passover at that time was pointing, I'm not sure that people at the time would know, it's pointing towards the cross. It's clear. You know, I, one of the, the preaching books I read recently talked all about, like, if your sermon has no, nothing to do with the gospel, then you're not a preacher. And they, they said no matter what passage, especially in the Old Testament, uh, there's always a road. Sometimes it's a longer road or a more difficult one, but sometimes it's just an easy straight one you can't get any more connected than the Passover uh, to, to what Jesus has done, what the gospel is. And, and so here we are, this, this moment foretold what Christ did for us. And now we have the Lord's Supper to remind us backward of what the cross, you know, Passover was forward and now Lord's Supper, we look back uh, at the cross. And so thank God for Advent, the reminder of the promise the reminder that God will provide, that he did provide. What is so great about God? Why Christianity? The death of Jesus is the power of Christianity. The death of a helpless victim. Christ being the one and only firstborn. Jesus is the lamb sacrificed for us. And in Advent, we along with John the Baptist, look at Jesus and proclaim, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. To behold the Lamb of God is to remember the work of Christ on the cross 
and what he did for us. If we behold the Lamb of God together, we have a new perspective on everything that happens to us in our life today. So, we have these prepackaged communion cups. Dustin and Peter have more. If you didn't get one when you came in and you would like one, they have some here. So, um, yeah, raise a hand if you'd like some, and, and they will be happy to come and... Um, and we will take uh, communion together this morning. So the trick is you remove the top film, and there is the bread. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for us, and uh, and then we will partake uh, together. Lord, it is, uh, it is difficult sometimes to fully comprehend the stories that we read in Scripture. And even as I contemplate what it would have been like that night in Egypt and, and feeling the weight of that, it's still, I'll never fully know. And, and in the same way, Lord, uh, we know that we can read the promises, especially the promise and the covenant that is so crucial for us is what you did on the cross. And yes, we celebrate with joy this Advent season that you came, uh, that you were born in the manger, and it is a really it is something that we want to celebrate. And and yet we we also know what's to come, and 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 you did too. And and there's there's a weight there as well, Lord. I. Just thank you so much for the power of the gospel. Uh, I thank you that the story didn't end there, that you did come back to life, uh, that you were raised, uh, that your body was broken for us. And Lord, we, we don't want to be glib about that, and we, we want to understand the weight and the price that you paid and the debt that we owe, and we just want to be thankful, Lord. And we do this to remember and we need to continue to remember that work. We need to continue to remember the promises that you've given to us, especially if we're feeling discouraged, tired, or exhausted, or frustrated, whatever it is. We must rely on your promises, Lord. So we thank you that we have this opportunity. Remember, we are forgetful, just as the Israelites were, even as they crossed the Red Sea and it didn't seem very long and they were forgetting things already. Help us to remember, Lord. So we thank you for your body. Amen. So he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Lord, we think as we sit here and we contemplate our struggles, we know that you've, you've paid this price. We don't need to sit and, and sit in our sorrow or, or anything like that. We, we can move forward in joy because of this new covenant.
that was made in your blood, Lord, that, that you shed your blood for us. Uh, Lord, thank you so much uh, for doing that for us, even though we didn't deserve it, that you paid that price. And so we thank you for, uh, for your blood that was shed for us on the cross. Amen. And so likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's pray once more. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here that uh, we can share in, in these moments together where we remember what you've done for us and that we can go from here and we can walk in that truth and that promise that you've made, uh, yeah, not, not dragging our feet and not um, taking it lightly, but living within that rest and that assurance uh, of what you've done for us. I thank you for this Advent season, Lord, the joy that it brings to us, uh, that we can celebrate and, and that we can just be together. Lord, it is so good to be together. I thank you for this church family, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. So, you know, you never, you never plan to come up here and, and get emotional. Uh, I'm not going to apologize for it, but I think it's, um, it's a reminder to me the significance of this story. And so I, my, my prayer and my hope for us as a church family is we go from here remembering that story, and that is what we're focusing on together uh, in this Advent season. So God bless, and uh, yeah, just hope you have a great week. Thanks. Thanks.